Ace Podcast. You'll go to school, straight to school, and you'll come straight home. You got it? I'm not going back to that school. They're waiting for me. Oh, you'll go. If I have to tie you to the desk myself, you'll go. No music. It's porno. You're porno. Oh. Sorry, pal. No more flogging the bishop. Hey guys, welcome back to the Blood and Black Rum Podcast. I'm Ryan from TheMoonIsDeadWorld.net. I'm joined by my co-host Martin. How's it going? And we're back for a new uh, episode for our 90s Slasher Month. It was a lot of fun last week. You uh, tuned in, you know, we covered Urban Legend, um, which we had seen a million times because it would play all the time on the best cable channels (laughs) and and, uh, pretty much every channel around Halloween time. It's an easy film to get, I guess. Yeah. Um, Filled us with great nostalgia for the 90s. Exactly. We had a lot of fun uh, because of that nostalgia. And uh, today's no different. That's right. I mean, it's a little bit different in that it doesn't, I, I don't think it has as much as Urban Legend. There's a, it's it's different, certainly, di- different style of, like, throwback in this film. But, um, like, I, I think that it's, it may not have as much as Urban Legend, but it's still a lot of fun. It's, I would say this is also a super 90s film. Mm-hmm. To go yeah. along with our great new uh, intro that you put together. That's right. I did put that together on your recommendation um, that we do a a special intro for this 90s slasher month because we normally do special intros for for the specific months that we do. And obviously, we wanted to make it nostalgic, uh, kind of melodramatic in the style of the 90s, like what what they would normally have. And also tie in with all the films that we're doing so managed to do that by throwing some paula cole at you uh and then kind of morphing that into the deaths from all of the films that we're we're covering for 90 slasher month so yeah. ho- hopefully you so, enjoyed it so pay, pay attention children because at the end of the month there's gonna be a quiz on uh which uh scream is from where <clears throat> that's true that's true it's not it's not technically in the order that we're doing the episode, uh, the the movies so Take a close gander at that and let us know. It'd be like one of those fun, you know, like hard bullshit online quizzes people like to take. Like, yeah, you know, I make those. <laughs> Bruce, Bruce Campbell was in a shit ton of movies. Here's 10 obscure movies that yeah. he was in. Guess what movie he's in by the poster? That's right. Yeah, I do those. <laughs> I do those all the time for that myself. That's not just you, I'm just saying. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's fun. It's They're very difficult. And I, that's why I like making them because no one wants to be like, what kind of weapon does does Ash use in, uh, in Army of Darkness? Like, what's attached to his arm? It's like, oh, okay, you know. What's his favorite catchphrase? <laughs> now, those are too, way too easy. So you got to go with the r- really obscure stuff, like, you know, 
What other films was Bruce Campbell in besides Bubba Hotep? Yeah, Bubba Hotep and Arm and Director, something like that. It's, it's fun to do. It's fun to fun to quiz people on stuff like that. And they get mad because they don't know the answer. And like, this is a shitty quiz. <laughs> well, it's supposed, to be. It's be supposed to be. That would be me. That's right. But today we're talking about The Faculty from 1998. So we're, again, we're in the late 90s, almost to the point where in this film you can kind of see where we're reaching that turning point of like late 90s into early 2000s, kind of the stylistic changes that are going on. Well, if you think about it too... As we talked, because Urban Legends from '98 too. If you think about it, the jump from '98 to '99. Yeah. After you know, after the Matrix, it's like wow, what you know, what a, what yeah, a, what a, what a difference a, a year. There's made. a huge difference from that, and then even getting into like 2000. And I attribute all of that to Y2K. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a big like fuck, our computers are going to destroy us all sort of thing there. I, that I was more excited about Y2J. The coming of Chris Jericho from WCW <laughs> to the WWF, but um, but no, you know what? I, I like one of the great things is kind of like doing this whole '90s month. Kind of get a little off topic, but it deals with the whole nostalgia factor. Is if you look at it and you think about it, like uh, pop culture type things from like the '50s up until the early 2000s, you can tell from each like in each decade, like the transition. Over like year by year, like where breaking points are, and where you know they break. Like you, like it's for us. If you look at like the early '90s, you can tell the early '90s are so like so much different. Like 90, 1994 is so much different than 1997. Yeah, definitely. Like only that like small window. There's yeah. a, there, there's a there's a huge change. It's not just like the '90s. Like it's pretty much every decade. Except that you have. ex. Say where I think this is different is. I don't really see that in like from you know two thousand like two thousand three to now. I mean like there's I mean there there's, definitely there's has certain... been some huge changes in like fashion from the from the OOS till now, but but I but mean there's not, but there's nothing like it may be hard because you're so embroiled in it and still are embroiled in it. Well, no, no, that, that I understand that's true, but like if I think about it, like there's nothing. Nothing re- like like that's like sticks. I, maybe uh, maybe in ten years we'll be mm-hmm. further removed. I'll be able to like pinpoint. Right, right. But when I th- if I sit down and think about it, it's it's really hard to think of like specific things that kind of uh, that stand out as like different like, that, that as, really like, shifted as like noticeable like changes. Yeah. Like when you go from like airport the, security. Well, <laughs> well that, yeah, that, a little that, bit different. <laughs> no, I mean, like, if you look at like the late seventies into the eighties, yeah, you can yeah, see the tra- you, you can see the transition. Like, disco died seventy nine. Absolutely, some some of that shit is still lingering on the eighties as you, we transition to like new wave, and then like how that like you can see like the progression clear. Same yeah, thing, like the nineties. And- I mean, I think the biggest thing with that is that you have like when you're when you're entering that space between like the decade, you you have that crossover where it's like some of that stuff from before is still cool and some people are still late to get out of it and so you kind of have that crossover where there's not you know once you get into the later years then yes like people who were late to like figure out the trends they're now on to the next thing well if you you think about like a perfect example of that would be like the late 80s like when like the neon like you know the miami vice like full bloom and that that still translates to translates to the early 90s but it's even more accentuated right. like so when you think of like the fresh prince of bel-air and like even and like you know like 
go to you to yeah. you know exactly and then yeah. like and then like once you know like grunge happens it's like bam and then you know yeah and i mean like you see that in in the faculty really well as like there's not very much um crossover between like those early 90s days and the late 90s there's a lot of there's a lot of a different sort of like look and feel to it and even how like movies are created and movies and tv shows at that time like the faculty is a good example of how different you know that whole idea of like creating a movie and what kind of soundtrack are you going to use for it that's that's yeah. changing quite a bit i mean in and in this case in the faculty i think even a little bit more so than when we covered urban legend like a lot of the soundtrack really stands out as like wow that's a that's a very late 90s early 2000s well, no, soundtrack well i say because urban legend relied more on an actual yeah an actual like score but this one you know, they actually, it, this one does have a score too, and it does have a very orchestral score at times, but it also wor- works heavily to get those soundtracks, uh, music in. You know, it, it really wants to get that, like... Especially in those transition scenes. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, oh, like, here's the school and all the, you know, the goofy shit. Let's play The Offspring, the kids that aren't alright, because, you know, like... Yes. Score again, your... again, that's like, oh, so... It's how the movie greets you. I know. Offspring. It's awesome. But it's you definitely and but I, like I said, I think this is a little. Even though, yeah, they're around the same time. I think the the faculty is a little bit different than Urban Legend and how it comes off in like the nostalgic factor. Um, it's pretty interesting to see like that transition. It's something that growing up in that time, and even we're really not. I wouldn't consider myself a '90s kid because I was legitimately a kid that. I don't remember a whole lot specifically about the 90s. I remember better than I remember the 2000s. Like I said. Well, I mean, it kind of morphs into the 2000s for me. I don't really remember, like, one and the other specifically. I kind of remember them in, a, like, a fluid yeah, thing. It's, yeah. it's not. Like, to me, I almost feel like one simple plan and all of them started hitting the airwaves. I just started to, like, block out the... Well, yeah, that may be. And that was my time. Where I was really into that sort of thing. Yeah, no, I I think I was like, or by the time I was like fourteen, I was like, I miss the night. <laughs> I miss Rocco's modern life. I know. All right, let's take a break real quick to talk about our beer selections because we do have a new uh, set of beer selections today. We're mixing it up. That's right. We haven't done anything really like this before, so we'll... we're late on the Cinco de Mayo. Well, that's right, which we're... has nothing to do with. Uh, this, <laughs> this movie or anything else, or, 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 the, or these, or these beers for that matter, because it's not really what Cinco de Mayo is about. But exactly. this is America. That's right. And someone smart in advertising realized good way to sell cervezas in America. Pair it with a holiday. That's right. Give us a second, and we'll come back with some beer talk. Black Rum Podcast. We'll be back with more after this break. Our sponsor today happens to be us, the Blood and Black Rum Podcast, because we recently just made a new t-shirt design for all of our listeners. You can find the t-shirt design on teespring.com, or you can check it out, and this is probably an easier link, on our website at bloodandblackrumpodcast.wordpress.com. And now back to the show. 
Hey, thanks for listening to those really cool sponsors. Um, pick up the shirt. It's a cool shirt. You can wear us on you on your on your chest and let you know let everybody know how much you love Blooded Black Run Podcast. Summer's coming up. That's right. It's gonna get hot. Perfect time for t-shirts. Exactly. All right. So what do we got today? I don't know. It's, this is your this is your booze. You tell us. You all right? Well. You lead the way. You lead the charge. Since it was uh, Cinco de Mayo last week, um, my local uh, Hannaford had a beer pack on sale, probably because it was past Cinco de Mayo. So uh, I picked it up. It's the Cervezas Classica pack. And um, basically, the reason I picked it up is because I do like Corona in moderation. I don't. Especially with a lime. That makes it tolerable. Um, actually, no, that makes it drinkable. But what I actually really wanted to try was in this pack, they have two classic cervezas that um, the Modelo makes. And I've never had them before. Uh, one is the Victoria, and one is the Pacifico Clara. I've never had either of them before, although I do know that I think around Cinco de Mayo this time, they do put out this classical pack, Classica pack. Um, never never seen it around before, but I really wanted to pick it up because we don't really ever do any Mexican cerveza style on here and um, thought it would be a good thing to have. So we started out today with the Victoria. Um, and while I don't think that it's very memorable whatsoever, it is an interesting style. It's a Vienna lager. Yeah, it's a Mex. It's a Mexican Vienna lager. Um, I don't think it's like I don't think it's really that great. Like, there's nothing that stands out to me about it that much. The Victoria. Mm-mm. I I think I mean I can t- um, compare it to like Corona or Pacifico. I never had a Modelo. I've never had a Modelo either. But I've been I've been curious to try it. Yeah, but sure, it's very similar. But I, I'm sure I'd be pretty just annoyed by because <laughs> I, I I personally don't I don't buy Mexican beers. I don't buy the cervezas. I don't I don't get the point of them. I like a cerveza from time to time. I mean, like I said, I, I think they're all right with a lime. Mm-hmm. But that's any like any just like lighter American style lager. Just shove a fucking lime in it. Right. And, yeah, know, and, and the, you would get a nice. Refreshing on a hot summer day. Yeah. I, so there's uh, to me there's no like why like for so for me if it's a hot summer day and I'm gonna relax or go to like a party and there's or gonna be a fire or something why would I spend seventeen dollars on this when I could get thirty pack of Jenny cream ale for the same price and it's gonna be a deliciously refreshing beer. I'll tell you, I didn't even have to spend that much on this pack. No, I know that's why, because if it was its actual normal price yeah, and not on sale, you, I would not have... you wouldn't get it, because around here, a 12-pack of Coronas, yeah. after tax and deposit, it's $17, $18, depending on where around here you get it. Same thing with like Dos Equis and... Yeah. Actually, uh, I think Dos Equis has come up in price. I think it's a little bit more expensive now than, even, than Corona. But my, my, my point is, like to me, like the, it, the, the style itself doesn't discern enough for me to warrant paying for and think and me thinking that it's even that enjoyable mm-hmm. um I, so i like i said i i don't buy it and i don't drink it if someone if i'm at a party and someone's got corona and they hand it to me i'll fucking drink it right you know someone's handing you a beer you just, that's right 
But I'm not going to go out of my way. I will say, though, so that being said, me not being a fan, really, of Cervezas, Mexican styles, I will say I do like the Victoria because you said it tastes, to you, it tastes just like a normal Corona Extra. I mean, yeah, it does, kind of. Not, no, not a Corona Extra, but a, more like a Corona Light. Corona Light. Yes. So, but to me, I can definitely tell it's a Vienna Lager. Because it's, it's, to me, I definitely pick up a sweetness on this. It's, it is a very sweet beer. Yeah. Almost to the, like, you get, you definitely get the malty sweetness from it. But not only that, it's kind of, like, sweet enough to where, like, it almost tastes like a hint of, like, apple. That's my palate. Yeah, I mean, I don't get, I don't know if I really get I, the, the apple the, on that, it. That, 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 could, I, like, I mean, that's, like, how I describe the sweetness. I wouldn't say it's, like, when you're biting into an apple, but it's. Right. This could, this totally could be, you know, how. We joke about people when you go on a beer advocate and they review beers and they're like just pulling fucking spices out of nowhere out of their ass to describe what they think the beer tastes. Very well could be my palate on this one. But I thought it was okay. I do like the Vienna Lager style. Well, it was just okay. I mean, like yeah, I, said, I mean, I it doesn't really do that much for me. I probably would, I wouldn't go out of my way. I mean, not that you ever would see it. Like just out and about, you know. Well, like I'll pick here. up a Victoria. Well, around no. here, yeah. <laughs> I I probably wouldn't go out of my way to like ever get it again. I I do think I prefer Corona Light to Victoria. Um, I actually made because this pack also includes Corona Light and Corona Extra, so I made it a point to try both the Corona Light and the Corona Extra. I've never had Corona Light before. Oh, okay. So I, I made it a point to try both of those without a mm. lime, just straight drink a Corona Light and a Corona Extra, and. I gotta say I prefer the Corona Light because it is a tad sweeter than the Corona Extra, and it's just it's it's a very light and refreshing beer. The Corona Extra has a strange bitterness to the end of it that I think really um, is off-putting, and that's why with that beer specifically, you really do need the lime because it cuts that bitterness a lot. Like there's a it's just almost an overpowering bitterness to the end of that. That I, I don't really enjoy, and I'm, I'm assuming that's probably what you're getting with w- when you say it's only drinkable with a lime. I mean, I haven't had a Corona in fucking forever. Right. Especially on its own. I haven't had a Corona yeah. in fucking ages on its own, so I might have to grab one and give it the old college try and see what I think, but... Because like I said, I've had, I've just, it's just a beer style I, I've never even tried. I felt so swindled. When I bought Dos Equis, when like I, you know, after like when they first started rolling those most interesting man in the world commercials, I'm like, these are the fucking great. It looks like Wes Anderson directed them. They're the most hipster, amazing, <laughs> beautiful things in the world. I gotta try this beer, and I bought it, and I was like so heartbroken. Like this is it's not beyond. This isn't even wasn't medium. it wasn't worth it to you? No, because again, like eighteen dollars for that twelve pack. I sat there and sadly, like sitting in college, like sadly, like yeah. Could be drinking a bat. Yeah. <laughs> well, I used to think, you know, that was a... That was a good beer. Yeah. But the other beer that we have is the Pacifico Clara. And that just reminds me of a general... Like I said... General Cerveza. Which, like I said, haven't had like a Dos Equis or a Corona on its own quite a while. But if I if I'd have to make like a call back to I would say, yeah, it's up the same neighborhood. I agree that... This is less sweet than the uh, mm-hmm. Victoria. Um, 
And you're right, it does, it is similar to a Corona Light, Corona Extra. I don't think it's as, it's not as tasty or refreshing as Corona Light. It's not as bitter as Corona Extra, so it's somewhere in the middle there. But I still, I wouldn't say that it's like um, anything that really stands out to me. There's nothing, it's just like, it goes down and it just is kind of there. Here's some watery bread. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's just kind of there. And I think that it's no wonder that this, these two styles have kind of gone by the wayside. Like these th- brands and Corona has come to the to the focal point. Um, that and Dos Equis. And Dos Equis also has an amber, which apparently does pretty well. I've had it one time. I don't really remember it that well. But apparently that does pretty well as well because that's the only two really... The standard two Dos Equis, so I think I think they they do do a Dos Equis cerveza pack. I think because that one has like Soul. <laughs> I've seen I've seen it before. It's like Dos Equis and like Soul and like, like two others. We'd have to get that one too and and give that a test. I think Walmart has it. Yeah, I think that's where I've seen it. I don't know if they had it this year, but I know like in year, years past I've seen it and I'm like I'm curious to try you. But again, mm, no, not gonna. I was reading in a beer magazine last year that was saying that. Last year's summer beers, the cerveza was, as a craft beer, was going to come out. Mexican style beers were going to be like the next big thing. No, they and I with... never really saw that at all last no, year. No, they went with ghosts. But I, <laughs> I am um, a little bit curious to see like what other craft brewers' cervezas would be like. W- would they be a little bit hardier? Would they be... Probably hoppier. Probably, probably, maybe maybe they would probably just like, but, uh, but throw a that, shit ton of hops in it. Like, it's our survey. It's Sam Adams presents our new Cerveza Rebel IPA. I guess my biggest question is that I'm wondering is like, what is the classic um, Cerveza that people think is the best? Like, if you were to if you were to pick out like the most the beer that defines yeah, the, Mexico, the the <laughs> beer that's the definition of like the Mexican Cerveza style. What would that be? And I don't really know because we don't get that sort of we don't get that style. The only like you said, the only thing we have really is the Corona and the Dos Equis, and that's it. I don't really even know what else is out there. I didn't know about Victoria. I didn't know about Pacific Clara. I know Modelo as well, but maybe that's the one. Maybe that's me. Yeah, maybe, but it doesn't seem like it would be because these are all made by Modelo. So it's like well, but, but then again. Maybe they wanted to make shittier beers for sh- for different people. For, well, for America. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. So I'm just curious. I'm curious to see what other people think of as like the definition of this is a good cerveza. Putting that out there to listeners, what do you think is the definition of a good cerveza? Because, I mean, I think Corona Light's pretty good. It's been a while since I've had Dos Equis. I can't really comment on that one that much. Um, but these, the Victoria and the Pacifico Clara, not what I would consider like a great cerveza drinkable. Yes. Refreshing sort of, I think it'd go pretty good with the lime. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe that is the, the epitome of Mexican cerveza is just stick a lime in there. Kind of like a blue moon. Hey, blue moon, intolerable. Piss poor Bel- Belgian wheat ale, just shove an orange shove on it. Shove an orange in there. And it makes, it does though. It really does. It makes it like three times better to just have an orange there. So, I'm, that's that's my, normally we don't uh, send out, like, homework to the listeners, but t- today I have, well, maybe, have a proposition well, for maybe you. Maybe someone who's listening, is he's their beer style is, like, you Yeah, know. They're, they're like, we make a good Mexican-style beer. Send it to them. We'll gladly accept. 
just email us and we'll send you the address. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's what we got. Um, I, I did want to cover Mexican style because we don't really do that. We have never really done it. We've done a whole bunch of other stuff. We did tons of IPAs. We've done stouts. We've done uh, porters and gozes. Gozes. Uh, Shandies. Yeah, we've done pretty much everything that there Cream-ales. is. I don't think we've ever had an ESB. No, because no one really makes ESBs. Yeah, it's not really a common thing. Which is sad because yeah. um, you talked about it before. It's like the nice middle ground between a pale ale mm-hmm. and an IPA and... Sure is. Yeah, no one... That's territory I'd like to see. More ESPs. Stop, you know, laying... You know, trying to, like, double, triple, quadruple IP. Yeah. You know. Oh, and that's... that. As you mentioned that, we've never really done it double or triple or... Mm. Or quadruple. Well, because I don't really like... No, I'm not a huge fan of, like, the Abbey-style stuff. No. But, but, I mean, it's something that we gotta do it's, at some it's, point. It's, to me, like... Because the main ones I've had, you know, on the game. On the games, yep. Known for their Abbey Ale, which is a double. Yep. And, and the Three Philosophers. And you're not really a huge fan. Because the Three Philosophers and the Abbey Ale, I mean, they, it just tastes like the fruitiness of those. Right. They taste way, it tastes too much like Robitussin. Like you're drinking medicine. Mm. And by God, if you've ever had Robitussin before, you know that's the fucking <laughs> work of the devil. If you're a child with a cold and flu. Do you want... Uh, what's supposed to be cherry flavored syrup that's actually just kind of Disgusting. sugary and and like it's not even sugary. Well, it's like Robitussin's it's like not sugar. Overly no. sweetened, sweetened. You're thinking no, you're thinking Diamond Tap. No, that's grape. I know that. But I know, but like Di- Diamond Tap's easy to get down. I don't know. I get it's... like Robitussin has like a very sicky sweetness to it. Yeah, but like a nasty cherry, which is like I so when I was drinking like I only had All My Gang's Abbey once. I bought. One of the big, like, 24-ounce wine bottles. It's mm-hmm. one, of the, one of the first Amagang beers I bought. It's one of the, it was... I don't think it is any much more one of their staple beers. But it was, at one point, one of the staple beers. Like, right, right. up there with the Hennepin, the Rare Voss, and the Belgian Pale Ale. Which, Amagang, if you're listening, fucking make it. Yeah, the Belgian Pale Ale. liked that a lot, for BPA. Lo- one of my first ones from them. For the love of God, bring that back. But anywho, I remember just having that and just like, oh, that was like a pain, <laughs> that was painful to drink. It's yeah. just like, mm, tastes like cherry and figs and other things that shouldn't be in beer. That that's just yeah. my that's my personal style. And we're and we're off off topic a little bit, but my point was that at some point we should probably cover those as well. So We'll do well, it when it's the hardest summer, we'll, <laughs> That's right. we'll, we'll break pull, out the game. We'll break out the Abbey Ale. We'll and break out the Game of Thrones. Of doubles uh, and triples. We'll break out the Game of Thrones Heart of Darkness style. Absolutely. All right, so we're going to move on to the faculty. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. All right, so the faculty. We're talking about the 1998 mil- <laughs> film from Robert Rodriguez, which is kind of surprising. Um... As in, this doesn't really... It's not really... It's uh, not really what you would consider a Robert Rodriguez film, especially at the time. His I, film canon's weird. It is, a, it. it is really weird, isn't it? I, it's it's not really... It's kind of all over the place. Obviously, Spy Kid's not not really in the... Well, no, that's what I'm saying. It's weird. Yeah. You, you get, you know, the El Mariachi you yep. know, trilogy with uh, Desperado and... El Mariachi and uh, Once Upon a Time in Mexico. But at the same time, 
like in between like once upon a time in Mexico, you you get like spy kids. Right. You're just, getting you get spy kids um so from he, dusk till dawn. <laughs> and then like I just what I'm thinking is that they just all feel very, very different from each other. Especially, maybe not so much from Dust Till Dawn in the El Mariachi trilogy. Like, those kind of go... You can see how those kind of go together. No, no. no they, that, they definitely they definitely fit together. But then you get, like, the faculty, which is more of a straight-up body snatchers slash, like, uh, slasher slash... Yeah, slash thing uh, re-envisioning. And it just doesn't really seem to go... With the kinds of things that in the, in Rodriguez a, is working with, but I mean, in the sense, well, now that you bring that up, in a sense, it kind of does because when you think of like um, Grindhouse, Planet Terror, Machete, those are all homage type. They things. are, yeah, they are. So this, this kind of do- fits in that sense because it's this. The faculty is essentially a homage remake. Of, yeah, of, invasion. Those, of Invasion of those Body Snatchers. And The Thing. The Thing. Um, many, actually, in many other films that are very similar within that canon. Um, yeah, but I, I think what throws me off more is that this is more... The, the, the tone of it doesn't really seem like a Rodriguez film. No, I agree. I think that's where Kevin Williamson's script comes in. Because it's, it's very much... It does feel like a Williamson film. Um, Wes Craven could have directed it. Exactly. I mean, Williamson, we know, also did Scream. Uh, he did I Know What You Did Last Summer, which we'll be covering. Um, and it's just, it it definitely feels more like a Kevin Williamson film than it does a Robert Rodriguez film. I'm not saying that's a bad thing or anything, but it does, it, it doesn't... Um, he very well could have just take, you know, taken the, like, a yeah, sure, paycheck. Exactly, right. I got other projects I, I want to do. Yeah. I, I, I need the money and the credit to... Yeah, I mean, maybe I'm crazy, but it really doesn't feel like a Robert Rodriguez film, especially coming within, like, From Dust Till Dawn, and even Planet Terror has more... I I don't know, I don't know what I want to say is his style, but it doesn't... Like, this one doesn't even feel like Planet Terror to me. Now, they're similar, obviously. They have a similar kind of premise to them, but they're not really... They don't even really feel that similar. So it's kind of surprising, and like if you were watching this film, I don't really know that you would think like oh, this is a Robert Rodriguez film, unless you really knew Robert Rodriguez directed it, except for maybe Salma Hayek is in it as well. That's, that's fresh the, off. Of, from, I know that's from the Dust one. Till Dawn. I know. I was gonna say that's the one uh, callback to a uh, from Dust Till Dawn that you get. It, well, not just that, like, just like Robert Rodriguez, like casting style. Yeah, exactly. Because like, you know, with like certain directors, like with Scorsese, early in his career is De Niro, now it's DiCaprio. Yeah. With Wes Anderson, you're always going to get, like, Bill Murray, one of the Wilson brothers, Angelica Houston, you know. Mm. Same thing with uh, Robert Rodriguez. You're either going to get, well, early in his career, you're getting Selma Hayek. Now you're getting uh, all grown up girl from Spike Kids. I can't remember her name. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, off the top of my head, I don't remember it either. But, but yeah, the, um, I think the big thing, the takeaways from this is, this is a Kevin Williamson scripted film, and it does feel a lot like a Kevin Williamson scripted film. And um, you can tell it's Miramax because uh, John Stewart's in here. That's right. Pre Daily Show. That's absolutely right. But this film has a lot of of stars. Actually, it has a lot of 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 major cast. Um, maybe not so much in the the kids department, 
like the in the teenagers, not a lot of them like really ever did a lot of things after after or before. But you've got um, one of the big ones is Josh Hartnett. Even though for nearly I said this, almost forty five minutes of the film, he's literally only in it for like five minutes. The first there's only, there's only like five minutes of of him. But you know this, that first but he's minutes. the one that got the most. Uh... Yeah, and he's most the one. Out, he's, he gets the most out of this film. It's not like Elijah Wood was walking away with this from this film like, oh, well, my agent's going to get calls off the hook now after this film. No, to probably not. Probably not for him. But, I mean, it, let's face it, Josh Hartnett, he may have gotten a little bit more, but this isn't really a standout film for him either. I mean, in, in this film... I wouldn't he, say anyone's standout. Nah, no, not really. But I, in, in general, for, like, Josh Hartnett, first of all, this isn't like him in a heartthrob role because he's looking very disheveled and unkempt throughout the film. The worst a, haircut with, of yeah, the 90s. With like a do-it-yourself haircut, which looks like he like maybe took a mirror and just he had like one of the bowl cuts that was really prevalent in the... It's not quite a bowl cut, but it's... I mean, it, because it's... it Right, exactly, because... Well, no, it, I get, right, no, you're right. It is a bowl cup, but it's not like the full foot, like, no, mush, the mushroom cup, no, yeah, which no, I... Which I you, had, you rocked the mushroom. I had the mushroom yeah. in, like, the low cup, bowl cup. <laughs> yeah. No, in this case, though, it looks like he almost... He had a bowl cut, and then he, they just chopped off pieces of it. Like, pieces of that mushroom. And then just, like, kind of left what was, and what was there. Like, and let it, like, gel out and stick. Because, like, oh, he's he, he's the disheveled kid. He makes yeah. dr- he makes drugs. Ugh, you yeah. know, like. I mean, it's not really a role where uh, I feel like a lot of 90s girls would have been like, he's so hot in that. Because he, ju- he just looks super disheveled in this case. Yes, maybe Wicker Park or something. <laughs> then you're like, man, I want Josh Hartnett's dick in me. But in the faculty, or th- or like thirty days and thirty nights. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But in the faculty, not so much. Not so. You probably are thinking like, "I bet his dick's really dirty," <laughs> or something like that. You know what I mean? Uh, well, he's fucking Famke Jensen. Famke Jensen, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, maybe this. I mean, right? Exactly. I I just think like for this film to have him in kind of the lead spot in the posters. And, and stuff like that. It's not really a Josh Hartnett-driven film to me. And that's why, like, when you questioned me when I said, you know, oh, I mentioned Elijah Wood before Josh Hartnett. Because from my memory of this film, Josh Hartnett isn't even a big, big presence no, in it. No, and I watching I, it again, he's not. I totally forgot Elijah Wood was even in this yes. film. And he's, he's, he's technically the main character. But, like I said, when you walk away, who do you think of? You think of fucking Josh Hartnett, Robert Patrick. Yeah. And, um... Like, Famique Jensen. That's that's who I think of. <laughs> you can't get her name right. No, because it's... Famke Jensen. No, because... Uh, no. I'm not, I'm not good with my Scandinavian, <laughs> Eastern European... That's okay. That's all right. My bad. I'm that's, sorry. That's all right. And to I, a lesser no, extent, Clay Duvall, too. As Stokely. Because, I mean, I think mm-hmm. for, for a lot of the film, she's yeah. she's a big part of it, too. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I think that this is primarily an Elijah Wood film. Um, he is meant to be, like, the the geeky guy who no one really likes, but then ends up being the guy who can save them all. You can almost say, like, um, this film is kind of uh, different in the slasher genre because it's, it isn't a female uh, protagonist that saves the day. It's not. 
Yeah, and and this is very much a very loose slasher film. It's, no, you're. No, it's you're, definitely a loose slasher film. That's it why. Is, that's why. That's why when you because uh, we talked about um, we talked about this together because we were just deciding what films we were going to do for this. When you brought up the faculty, I was like, I I don't really see it as a slasher. Film. Yeah. It's, it's a sci-fi like a sci-fi horror film. Absolutely. I I can. I, I do get the slasher aspect, yeah. but, it, but it, it's a very, very tiny part in the whole machine of the film. Exactly. I mean, like you like you said, with this being an homage to um, The Thing, and it very much is throughout this film, very close um, representation of, like, The Thing. And it doesn't make that super obvious to... Like new people who are watching the film, but if you've seen the, the thing the, before, the, the, and... the thing ref- the, the thing references I would say are pretty well done, and yeah. and you know very and pretty and cla- cha- changed up and, for this film and clever. And I'll say it's for the invasion of the body snatchers part. It's very on the nose. Yeah, like, it is absolutely. But the thing I wanted to mention about the thing is that when you think about the thing, you don't really think about the thing as a slasher film. This this it's totally. Mm. F- Far removed from what you would consider a slasher film. You'd call it like a sci-fi, like a sci-fi monster alien film. It's horror, yeah, suspense. But when you, th- but if you do like get down to the nitty gritty, it yeah, you could. It is, you but it, but it, it's not. I don't think it's pronounced in that film as much as it is in the faculty. Because even though the faculty does adhere to the thing kind of, kind of closely, at the same time. The, the faculty places more of an emphasis on the actual people before they become aliens. The Even though we know that they're aliens and we've seen them, you know, attack other people, it's the human element of that, that, you know, we see um, Robert Patrick in his human form attacking people or chasing people. I think that's what makes us feel and adhere more to Kevin Williamson's style of slasher film. So I think that's why you kind of get that that melding of parts. So it's kind of like The Thing. It's kind of like Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It's a little bit of a slasher film. Um, and like you said, Kevin Williamson wrote this film quite a while before it was actually released. And so, as you well know, the the mid to late 90s was like Williamson's jam at that time. It was like... He was making money. Yeah, yeah everybody was like, let's get... What, we want to make a good film like Scream 2. Get Kevin Williamson on the phone. Maybe he'll write us something. Well, they're all like they're they're all Miramax films, like exactly. And they they were just rolling in the screaming Kevin Smith money at the time. Like, that's right. Like oh, clerks, clerks, you know, is becoming a darling. Let's let's make Mall. You know, well, actually, no, Mallrats wasn't a Miramax. So like, let's do Chasing Amy. You know. Yeah. But, I mean, uh, if we're being honest here, and we're talking about the faculty. It, I, I, it is. It probably was a kind of a cash in, a money making scenario for Miramax. And everybody that was behind it, like you said, Robert Rodriguez probably took this for some money, because you can see how Williamson kind of goes through the motions. You can copy much of Invasion of the Body Snatchers and the Thing in this premise, and just kind of expand on it a little bit, change it up just a little bit. Set in high school, exactly. We'll put this in high school. Um, we'll give we'll we'll mold these things and and change them a little bit and give it. A sort of 90s grunge aspect where it's based on drug use and the misunderstanding between adults, adu- yeah, adults and kids, and and then that's really 
what we see often in a Williamson film. There's always that sort of teenage angst and misunderstanding and also sexual tension because there's a lot of sexual tension in the faculty as well. There's a lot of sexual tension in Scream. It's part, it's one of the main elements of the plot. If Cindy only wasn't a virgin. Si- yeah, if Sid- Sydney wasn't a virgin and she had a little bit better outlook on picking guys, you know, there's a lot of sexual tension in that film with the faculty as well. And I think that it, it this, I don't, I, I don't think that the faculty is entirely successful. And I think part of that is because it does feel like a very, um, like, a, 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 in, I would say a creative, but it's, it's still a copy of Invasion of the Body Snatchers primarily, which you said it doesn't really do that much to stand out from but Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And it even brings no. it up multiple times as like a meta commentary yeah. on like, that, this that, is Invasion yeah, of the Body yeah, Snatchers. Yeah, before like meta is really becoming a yeah. know, big deal. I mean, well. But, I mean, but what, what, what are the problems like I have with that is like, so the whole like idea and premise is very Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Right. This alien has come, we don't know where, this has shown up. And they're slowly, no, well, not slowly, rather quickly. Yeah, actually, a day and a half yeah, or something. Yeah, which doesn't even feel to us seems actually like more more than a day and a half. With, yeah, with what we see, it's yeah. More than, but maybe that's just the characters being like we haven't seen yeah. it specifically. But yeah. but within a day and a half, this alien is able to take over not just like the faculty, but this like most of the student body, and. You get to see, like, from from the very get-go when Robert Patrick is, as uh, your very stereotypical 90s... Generic co- coach. Gym coach, football coach, who's wearing his short shorts, high white crew socks, and, you know, cursing out his players. And a, and a whistle. Yeah. Whistle around his neck. Calling them fucking idiots, and, you know... You get to see him, like, sitting there, like, drinking water, like he's the guy from Men in Black as soon as he, uh... You know, gets, the farmer gets taken over by the cockroach. He's like, sugar and water, water. He's just sitting there drinking water. So, like, the whole the whole kind of mystique of what's happening, is to, which is part of the in- intrigue, as we talked about in our 1979 invasion, 78 Invasions of the Body Snatchers review, part of the mystique is just, like, the whole, like, who, who is an alien? Who is it? We don't know. It's the, the whole paranoia trying to figure it out and... What are the signs and stuff like that? And as the film goes on and progresses and you get closer and closer to the end and the climax, it builds towards, okay, you know what it is. And now like you have these overwhelming odds to overcome. And this right off the get-go, it's like, oh, yeah, the aliens are here. And they're doing goofy shit like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And right. so like that whole like intrigue, it's it's not there. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think in, a li- in some ways, Williamson realizes that you know, by get by opening up with Robert Patrick in this obviously sinister role, very generic, um, that you know he's realizing that there's sort of a a meta commentary with this, and he's running with it because in later moments in the film you do get to have that sort of surprise in that there's a couple characters that you really didn't suspect because we're given kind of a red herring throughout the film, and, and they and they. Basically do it just for the sake of, like, surprise! Yeah, exactly. I think that's probably where they realized, hey, maybe we shouldn't have shown, like, the entire invasion right away from the get-go. Because the first 45 minutes or so, pretty much everybody is already 
an alien. They've already been turned. Yeah. That's, and, and at 45 minutes, we still got an hour. We still got 60 minutes of running time to go through this whole, uh, process of the kids fighting um, off, the... fighting off, uh, the, the, basically the faculty, although it could be students as well. It doesn't even need to be the faculty in this, in this case, because literally everybody in town has now become an alien, but the, we still have 60 minutes of them in the school fighting off, uh, the teachers and all the aliens. Um, and they, like, I just think that they probably wasted some opportunities there by, by showing so many people as an alien. I think a slow build would have helped. Exactly. Like, because- like the, the same thing with like the thing and the invasion of the body snatch, a slow build would have built attention, but at the same time, it's the nineties, man. We ain't got time for that shit. Well, that's we, the- we, 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 you know, we got to so that's the thing with this. It's, it is annoying. I agree. It's, it's like, totally annoying though because the film feels overly long at an hour and forty five minutes. Should have been because like, of that. Yeah, should have been ninety minutes. Well, if they're if they're going to fast track it like they did, exactly. Yeah, make it a you know just get it down to ninety minutes. Yeah. make it a you know. Yeah, it really, fat. it really does not need to be an hour and forty five minutes to get everything across. It's very bloated and. Part of that is spending so much time with our teenage characters, uh, many of them who don't really matter. They're not that, very the, much not only that, fucking teachers. Like you don't need ten different teachers. You don't need ten different like you know fucking ushers in this film. For <laughs> ten, for, yeah, as being like the douchebag jock. Usher's almost in it more than Josh Hartnett for in some scenes. Yeah, and it's like he. Is he really needed? No, no. You didn't. You don't need him. You could have just had him show up in one scene, like when the, the football team's attacking. Yeah. You don't need fucking John Stewart in this. film. As much as I love John Stewart in this film, playing not just a teacher but a damn professor at a high school, a professor at this rundown, uh, rusted out water fountain high school in uh, Ohio. In Ohio, yeah. You with a glorious. Glorious goatee! Oh my god! Such a terribly pre-Daily Show John Stewart is a fucking gem to behold. Yeah, that is a horrible goatee, by the way. I I love the fact that anytime John Stewart mentions his acting career, he says how what a fucking awful disaster it was. Like, yeah, it was in such great movies, like The Faculty, Half Baked, and Big Daddy, is <laughs> playing the same role essentially, just like. Generic guy was like, what's going on here? <laughs> yeah, basically. I mean, as much as I love Jon Stewart in this film, just because he he does, it, it's so ridiculous. Uh, there's no reason for him. There's no... Because even when it comes down to him being a professor of science who knows, like, ridiculous amounts about unknown biology he decides like to do like the stupidest thing that you would would not expect someone of his ill like if you're a professor and like you found this oh potentially new species and then it got dropped hit with water and all of a sudden it comes to life oh well you know after you just uh, sent it to university like yeah let's throw in a big fucking fish tank and then it turns into like a fish type thing like i want to grab that thing now i think you'd be like hmm yeah, we'll leave that alone. I'm not going to touch that until yeah. we know what's, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I love John Stewart. Don't need him. You don't need to, to focus so much on the teachers throughout because it, very quickly, 
they all become aliens anyway. So we really don't need to know what they're like before or after because you don't. You know, like you said, you don't need like Piper Laurie as you know. You could have like her in the beginning, like show like how the you know the in, the whole intro goes down. Of, yeah, like her seeming normal, but then she turns out. But then you don't need her like randomly showing up at times. Like, what are you doing, children? All right, you can just move on from that. You don't need to. And the reason that's so unnecessary is because. The film makes it unnecessary. Like I said, we don't need to see the before of these teachers because we don't really see the aftermath of the effects. Like when they actually become aliens, there's just so little time from when they're regular teachers to when they're now aliens that you don't even really get to see that how much they've changed. The only thing that they really pronounce in this film is that, oh, they drink a lot of water. So if you see anybody with a water bottle or any sort of water then you know that they're an alien. This is before... I do, I, I, I do like, throughout the film, you slowly see them, like, like rolling in more water. Yeah, yeah. That, that I do well, like that. This like, is like, actually before, like, the rise of everybody drinking, like, bottled water. So, like, now, if you were to see people with, like... Uh, in the 90s, that's weird. Yeah, it's weird. If you were to see... You to, should be drinking Fruitopia, man. <laughs> if you were to see people now, like, just having tons of bottles of, like, uh, Fuji... Or Fiji, I mean, and uh, Fiji or like well, Aquafina or well, something that, like that. Well, that's weird because Fiji's expensive for no. No, reason. but I'm just saying like that's it's very prevalent. If you see that now, you'd be like, oh, you're health conscious. But uh, back then, yeah, having a giant like natural geyser bottle of water, like one of them there's, is like sixty four. Yeah, no, there's, there's a few. There's a few kids with that. Like yeah. when they like they start to notice like the our main little cadre of characters walking around the school they, like you do see like some of them like with those big 64 ounce like yeah. bottles, bottles like, of water and it's like where the like i don't remember ever in the 90s seeing fucking bottles of water like that just being sold like uh yeah you know i'm just gonna that's why i said this would be so much better like this would have been a perfect opportunity to get some money for this film with a fucking spot. Have, like you said, should have been Fruitopia they were running on. Have, like, Fruitopia or, like, Snapple when they were doing, like, the earth, fire, water. Like, uh, those, like... Like, Sobeys. No, like, do you remember, like, those, like, really, like, late... It was late 90s, it was, like, a Snapple, and they were doing a different line. It was, like, Snapple, fire. And it was, like, this... They were all in glass bottles. Yeah. These sleek little bottles, and they had, like, this totally 90s logo on, like, fire, Water. Yeah, wasn't that? Weren't they called Sobe? Sobe stuff? No, it wasn't Sobe. It wasn't Sobe. No, it was, Snapple it, had their own thing. Yeah, it was, it was Snapple. I don't know if I recall the fire things for Snapple. Google but, it. Well, I don't. Google it. I mean, yeah. when you see the bottle, you'll be like, oh, yeah, I remember. Yes. Oh, yeah, I do remember those. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, uh, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. Did someone start a petition to bring those back? I mean, if surgery, I do remember if, those now, actually. You're right, yeah. Because that was a big, yeah, it was a big thing. Yeah, if yeah. yeah, if Surge can come back, that can. You just look at those bottles, and if you're listening, if you're listening to this, and you don't know what we're talking about, please, yeah, Google them. Google please. it, because if you live through the '90s, you'll see that and be like, oh, my, like it'll come back. Yeah, like the Celine Dion song, it's all coming back to you. Yeah, another great '90s reference. We're just on a roll. And there's the Fruitopia right there too. We had a fucking, we had a huge Fruitopia vending machine at yeah. school. It was bit, very popular. But that's, yeah, that you're right. That would be really funny. 
uh, to have them just like, like we're <laughs> aliens. We need to drink Fruitopia to survive. <laughs> but like with the so, but I, what I'm saying is that like we don't really know much about these teachers. Even though we do spend quite a bit of time like following them for the first part of the film, there's not really enough for us to really feel like they're, we they're knew all, them. Well, they're all and then, they're all stereotypes. The coach yeah. is your again. Robert Patrick's your stereotypical asshole, like, fucking goddamn useless kids, catch the fucking football. Yep. The principal is your stereotypical, I'm a hard ass, we're going to do things this way. Um, Piper Laurie is the drama, te- no, you know, doesn't really have a character, but I mean, <sighs> but then again, you can say her name, because I can't say it. Famke Jansen. Famke Jansen. Is that how you say it? Yeah, basically. Okay. She's like the, the timid lit teacher. Yes, exactly. Who's apparently... Yeah. Fucking or wants to fuck Josh Harnett, but I mean, she doesn't. Why is she in this movie? I mean, I like she's getting work because I think she's a good actress. <laughs> Loved her in Golden Eye, seen you on top, and as uh, in the X Men movies as uh, Jean Grey. But <laughs> right, I but, that- but I'm just, but I'm just saying, like, what's what's her point in this film? Just so you can have her being like the kids. What's what does Caruso want? And no one's fucking listening to her. And then all, uh, so when then she gets taken over by the alien, she's like, "I'm a fucking bitch now." Yeah, look at me. And then you know she goes back and again. To like, the goes sexual back, tension, which again, but it doesn't make any sense. Like, are they fucking? Or are they not? Like, I don't. Get I don't it. think they're. And in the beginning, I don't think they're actually fucking. But it's like sort of a like a a dis. It's disrespectful from. Uh, Josh, Hartnett. Josh Hartnett's character to like offer up the condoms, and then and then I think that becomes a thing later on. And the laxatives, you say. and the laxatives, yeah. I, I but I think that becomes a thing later on. And actually, you know, towards the end, what once the, the alien race has been decimated and everybody goes back to normal, I think that's a really interesting. And I'm not sure if it's intended, but it's a really interesting thing to have Josh Hartnett on the on the football field looking at. Famke Jansen in the stance and you know they kind of share this thing like now they're definitely fucking but is that a crossover from like how they've all changed a little bit since their alien yeah her, you know what? that to, doesn't really to, come to, out to, to, to cure to cure her of her timidness all she needed was some 18 year old dick plowing her no but I, I don't mean cause that because that's, that's the same thing with uh with Clay Duvall's character. Yeah, Stokely, Stokely, Stokely Stokes Mitchell. Fucking, she's the guy. Again, it's the late 90s film, so we gotta have a goth chick. Who everyone thinks is apparently a bull dyke. Because she's she's goth. And everyone just thinks, oh, she she's a lesbian. Muff dive. Again, what a glorious time to not... Apparently, Glad wasn't paying attention to any of these things back then. Because, like, muff diver, bull dyke, whatever. But no... She hooks up by the end with, with the fucking the, the quarter football, yeah, yeah the football quarterback who now you know who rejects being a football quarterback because he wants to be respected he doesn't want people just kissing his ass which one bullshit and two by the end she goes from being a goth then they're together at the end after this all all this happens and now she's not a goth anymore her hair's clean. Her piercings are out. She's wearing lavender tops and skirts now. So it's like again, all it's all it's like the movie's telling you. All she needed was some good dick to make her go from being a bull dyke to you know an actual woman. So remember that, ladies. If you think you're a lesbian, just get some dick. If it's good enough, you'll think otherwise. 
Well, I think what, that, what a time the '90s were. <laughs> I think that it's not really. I don't know if it's intentional or not. And I don't know if it comes. It doesn't really come out. But I think maybe the intended consequence of that whole endeavor at the end of the film is to indicate that they were, you know, they were taken over by a parasitic alien being, and they've sort of changed after, even though that being has been eradicated, they've kind of changed, and they're not the same people that they once were. They, they may not be violent anymore, but they're not the same. And I don't know if that's, like, the intended, you know, part of Williamson's plot, or if it's just supposed to, or if it's not really intended at all, and it just kind of... It's a happy coincidence. Right, it just happens. But that's what it seems like, and it almost seems like they're hinting at, like, there could be a, p- a possibility of a sequel where all those people who they thought were with the parasite yeah. were eradi- was eradicated, they are just, like, lying dormant or something. And it's not really... I would say that'd be a stupid... No, obviously... No, I'm not saying that's a good no, I know, idea, I, no, but I think I, 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 no, I get possible. That. No, I understand that, but I'm saying I think at the end of the day, that would just be like... Yeah. Wow, that's that's a stretch. Well, maybe that's why it never came out. <laughs> Someone said no. <laughs> Miramax was like, "Well, let's pull back on that." <laughs> Mir, if Miramax said that, then you know it's probably not a good idea. <laughs> um, one thing we didn't talk about, which we talked about, well, I also I wanted to bring up because you you mentioned Clay Duvall's character Stokely. Uh, no Jenko jeans again. What's up with that? Why two out of two nineties well, slasher well, films have we covered? Well, I mean that's not really a goth thing. I was in the fifth grade. I wore junko jeans. I wasn't a goth. It's not a goth thing. It was more like these are really cool baggy pants. And then when I was riding my bike one day, I got sn- snagged on my bike chain. I went tumbling down a hill and snapped my leg in half. And you're like, no, no and- more junko jeans. <laughs> <laughs> that was the that was the the, the break. That you were like, no, no more Jenko jeans for me. No one said you look like shit. In the nineties, no. No, no. I'm not saying that it's a goth thing, but I'm just saying I'm surprised that in two out of two nineties films that we watched, no one's wearing Jenko jeans. What's up with that? But what we do get in this film is some sweet, awesome nineties names. Those, those oh, even, awesome. even even better than Urban Legend. Yeah, even better than Urban Legend. Cause you, I I thought this was I thought this was a last name. It has to be last name. I'm thinking when they mentioned Stokely, I'm like, oh, they're just calling her by her last name because they think she's a lesbian or so. She goes by they think she's like a on a, a sports team. Yeah, she goes by like, her last name. Well, a lot of co- you know what guys like to do, call them by the last name. Though yeah, it has to be the right last name. So for me. Martin's my last name. That's why I called by. Martin's a good last name. No one ever calls me by my first name. Mm-hmm. So who the fuck cares? But with you, Barbara, Barbara's not as good. Ryan's more. Yeah. It all it all depends. It depends because like Barbara was on the field, obviously. Like if I was playing. Well, that's that, that's yeah. well, that's different. different. If, if it's a sport, then like everyone yeah. gets. Called. But yeah, I was never. Yeah, I was never Barbara. Yeah. So. But then you can look at like other friends, like you know, you just gotta pick and choose. Yeah, like, it's it all, some, it all... some things work, some things don't. It's yeah. Just whatever. But yeah, no, Stokely. Stokely, Stokely sounds like like there's no it's, way it's, it's a... gotta be a last name. It's got it's gotta be the last name. Then come to find out, nope, it's not. Stokely is literally her name. You're not. You're gonna if you're gonna name your kid Stokely, she's not gonna succeed. A social game. It just not you're, <laughs> you're setting, setting them up for failure. Like, yeah. If you name her Stokely, they're gonna think she's a lesbian. That's I'm I'm assuming that's what the doctor, the conversation <laughs> the doctor had with the parents. Like, are you sure? 
Before you sign this birth yeah, are certificate, you, are, you, are, are you, you sure Stokely really, is the what, name? What, what about, like, Beth? Yeah. <laughs> Veronica. Veronica would be a much better name. They, no one would think she's a dyke. Sounds like Volva. Yeah. No. But, it, I, like, Stokely is one because I've never known anybody or heard anybody whose name is Stokely. That must have been, like, a, like a Southern California... Name, which is great, because the film takes place in Ohio. So yeah, it's, I've it. never heard Stokely before. I don't know anybody who's named that. Casey, that's a Casey is a pretty common '90s name. It's not really so. It's not really that common anymore, no, actually, it's not. for a for a for a male name, really. But but the biggest and the best in this film <laughs> takes is, the cake. Takes the cake so far. So far, out of the '90s names that we've heard, is Josh Hartnett's character. Which we've refrained from actually naming right now. But his name is Zeke. Zeke Tyler. Zeke Tyler. If that's not the coolest, because you know that kid's that the like, coolest. That sounds like a comic book kid, like a superhero's yeah. name. Like, Zeke Tyler is just a normal person by day, but at night. That is the coolest name. When everybody, you know, everybody's saying Zeke and they just are like, that guy must be awesome. <laughs> I must be awesome. You must be dealing drugs. I love it. But there are also some that are great. Like Usher's name is Gabe. Gabe. Love it. Santora. Uh, Gabe Santora. Gabe Santora. Yes. And uh, the, the best one is because it's simply a great 90s reference. John Stewart plays Professor Edward Furlong. I don't know. I don't know why that is a thing in this film. Is is there like because Robert Patrick's in it, so Edward Furlong. I mean, is there some sort of <laughs> intentional usage of that? I don't. I don't know. But it's it's, it's pretty funny. All you the almost same. have to think so because you know what? Um, I because when you talk about, I mean, we haven't talked about casting. We'll get a little bit more into that a little bit. But you can tell Robert Patrick was cast in this film. Because of Terminator 2. You would think, because in that first scene, that's exact, it's, he's almost like back in Terminator 2. Yeah. He's, playing T1, he's essentially playing a T-1000, except he, like, he likes to drink water. Do you think people sought him out because in, like, when he was doing his auditions, they're like, you know, you, you are delivering the lines, but it doesn't really sound, like, human to me. <laughs> It's like, it sounds off. It doesn't sound like a normal person would be saying these. You would be perfect for this film that we're in where you're not really actually human at all. <laughs> you're you're trying to pretend like you're human. Because this, this, this is the second film that he's done that is him pretending to be human. It's, it, it's perfect. It works out. But it's, I don't know if it's a good indication of like his acting ability. I mean, I've seen him in other things. Um, he's also in, um, some, like, he's actually been in Robert Rodriguez's, uh, TV series of From Dust Till Dawn. Oh, so hey. he was in that for, yep, so he's in that for a while. Um, but I don't know if it's a really good indication of, like, <laughs> his acting ability when he has, when in two well, films can, well, at, no, at the can, same time. Well, that can just be typecast. It could be, yeah, he could be typecast. Because he just plays, you know, that type of role. But... You know the uh, the one cast member that I think really just grabs this film and runs with it, Christopher McDonald. Oh God, he's 
He's amazing in this. He, he's only in it for five minutes, and, and he is steals hit, the show. Hands down, it's it's like with Leprechaun Two and Michael McDonald. Yeah, just what's like, with the McDonalds? What's with the goatees? Because Michael McDonald had a gr- had a great barista early nineties goatee in in Leprechaun Two. Christopher McDonald for no reason, no reason. It's not like he was doing anything at the time that called for a goatee. Has a fucking brilliant goatee in this film. He looks magnificent. And then as Elijah Wood's dad, he just plays just the great smarmy. Yeah. At, you know, I mean, he's always good in a smarmy role. He's like, there's never talk a time. about. I say, talk about typecasting. Yeah, that he, absolutely. I mean, in this case, I think he's supposed to be less smarmy than normal. Because if you think of like, well, he's not a douchey, but yeah, he, yeah, right. But he's to- but he totally comes off as like, oh, that guy's like, like one movie that I know him very well in, besides obviously Happy Gilmore, is um, Dutch, and in that yep. film. He really is a smarmy douchebag, and he's perfect in it. He's, he's, and you really, absolutely do want to punch him straight in the face, which actually <laughs> happens at the end of the film. But I watch it every Thanksgiving, and it's wonderful because Christopher McDonald is amazing in that film. But in this film as well, well, as I was say, like in um, Dirty Work, the Norm Macdonald Bob Saget directed film, yeah, which is very much like a fucking. Adam Sandler film. Yep. He plays like that stereotypical role. He's fucking great just being a smarmy asshole who, you know. Yeah. Oh, uh, he, he's, I love him. He, he is great. In but, this case, yeah, he's, he's more, like, more reserved and not, not a douchebag, but he is like the, like, a, the father figure who is taking away all of Elijah Wood's stuff. Like, no more internet for you. We're taking the modem right out of here. Right out of here. And, uh, you know, like we used in our introduction, taking the porno mags too. I but the one there's a really great touch when Elijah Wood falls out of his window, and Christopher McDonald comes out of the house to get him, and he says, "What do you think you're doing out here?" <laughs> the best part of that though is when he still has the porno mags rolled up in his hand, <laughs> and just swats. Elijah Wood back in the house. I love. It's like, I love, why does he still have the porno mags? He left the he left the bedroom like we gotta presume like a couple few minutes ago. Why is he still have the porno maybe mags? He, maybe he was going to slap the bitch. That's right. Maybe he was. Maybe he's gonna. Maybe he was. You know what his best? I you know I think that uh, his best movie role is the Iron Giant. He's great in that. Is uh there's uh the uh. Government agent who comes to town to find the Iron Giant. Mm. He plays such a great cowardly smarmy asshole. <laughs> but no, he's he no, he really is great. So like in this, it's just like even though it's like I said, it's like a three to five minute little part. He's just like like the way he like points at Elijah. He's not just like pointing at him. He's like doing like a devil horn, like pointing at him. Like, yeah, like, like, like pointer like, finger and pinky finger he, yeah, together. Listen here, Mister. No stereo. No internet. No phone. Bye. And his mom's like, oh, what if I was born? I was like, oh, poor. And he knew exactly where to look, too. Like, wasn't like, well, we're hiding the porno. So, nope, lift the mattress up. No, oh, there's your pornos. That's what you're beating off to. Yep. No, I love him in this. It's, it's, it's a fabulous role for him. And I think that just the slick back hair and the goatee really makes the makes the whole thing. I come thought it couldn't get any better after John Stewart's goatee in this movie, but I, I was wrong. Mm-hmm. This is this is even better. 
and more inappropriate. Because I, because you would never look like John Stewart in the late '90s before the Daily Show. You could see him like, I'm gonna grow goatee, you know? Yeah, Ooh. little bit of mullet, little goatee. But I mean, Christopher McDonald, I, I would never in a million years picture him with a goatee. And you get it here in that regard. Yeah, not, not not like it is in this film. Fresh off of Leave It to Beaver, you get a beautiful goatee. It's awesome. So what do you think of like the actual monster effects in this film? Because for the most part, there's not a whole lot of actual like sp- like huge alien encounters. It's more so like a little bit of CGI, a little bit of practical effects, like a little bit of uh, makeup effects. Um, what do you think of that about that? Um, I think the practical effects are pretty good. I think when they do use them, it it does look pretty good. Like. Um, Miss Burke, the one teacher, when the, she's in the shower and you see like the hair falling, like yeah, that's really good. That's a really that, good that thing. looks really good. That's yeah. actually pretty, you know, creepy and a really good effect. Yeah. Um. So I'll say, like, the practical effects are pretty damn good in this film. That's what that is one of the pluses. However, the CGI in this film that they use for like the Queen Alien and Good God, is it bad? It is. It will has not and will not stand the test of time. It's only going to get worse and worse as we go on. Like, just like watching it, it's like, man, you could tell when they made it. They're like, this, oh, cutting edge technology yeah. here. Like, people are going to be looking back at this, saying, like, wow, oh, this is just fucking great. Well, and, you- and 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 you look at it now, it's like. It's pretty cringy. Well, as you said, though, too, the alien design isn't really that scary or, like, creepy at all. It's like, goofy. It's goofy. Like, you said, it looks like, a, like, especially in the water scene under in the pool. It's like octopus catfish and yeah. uh, the bug from Men in Black. Yeah, the face, the face shape of the alien itself does look like a catfish. Like, like they modeled it specifically after a catfish. They, they took, like, the Z... Because the whole teeth thing, like, the how they show that, it's like, oh, they're trying to go like a xenomorph. But then, like, the model of the head for, like, the actual alien, after you see, like, the whole teeth bit and whatnot, you get, like, a little xenomorph, but then it's like, catfish, octopus, cockroach! Yeah. And so then, it's and like... And very mm. much like the thing as well. Yeah, so it's, um... Which, but, like, by the way, like, the whole scene where you see, uh... They're all test. Is that what you're talking about? Where they're testing each other? No, the when the teacher's head's walking around. Oh yes, yeah, the is, tentacled head. Yeah, directly from the thing. Yeah, exactly. It looks because they do CGI for that. That that looks that looks awful. Yeah, it does look really bad in that, and it's <sighs> egregious because in the thing it, it looks really good. Yeah, <laughs> and you can tell like, wow, they just don't... they spent so much time on getting that. Yeah, no. Yeah. But no, it's it, it it looks terrible. But at the same time, you can tell like in like late nineties, they saw that and like man, what a time to be alive. This this is gonna be the this is the shit of the future. I don't <laughs> think the faculty is really that tense or scary. I, mean, I it really doesn't have very many moments where the the scene is coming together in a way where you're very you're it's just not nerve wracking. And in some in some cases, um, as the film runs longer, not even it's almost kind of boring. It's almost like some of the the pacing to the stalking scenes is ridiculous for one thing because it's unnecessary because we know that the queen is massive. So if the queen's that massive, she doesn't even need to be in human form at that point 
and make it mu- that much slower. Well, and it's that, like and a stalking scene that yeah. doesn't need to be. Well, and, and as I said, that's where the whole tension of the film's gone because the whole intrigue and in invasion of the body snatchers is that whole build up to that. Mm-hmm. But the fact that you know from the get go, hey, this shit's already happening. Yeah. Then there's no you don't really have an intrigue because it's more about bullshit high school drama. Yep. Of Elijah Wood, no one likes him because he's the goofy geek that people just don't relate to for some reason. And Jordana Brewster as Delilah, she's just a bitchy cheerleader and newspaper editor. Because <laughs> we it's ninety both. It's a nineties film, so like urban legend, you gotta have somebody who works for the school paper who wants just hard hitting facts. You know, where's that in our news today? I know. Hard-hitting facts. But, um... So, yeah, and, like... And, again, like, so... You get nothing... You get character tropes from your main cast. So they're boring as it is. Because, again, you're getting a jock, a goth, a bitch, a nerd, and the fucking outside tweaker. Mm-hmm. So it's all stereotype. And then, like, like I said, it, it's... It's it's just weird. It's it, it doesn't gel. Like it's like again. I think if you're gonna do a whole, let's do an homage to like the thing and the the invasion of the bystanders. Stick closer to it. Yeah. Because this whole like I think that idea could work in a high school setting. Don't put it at like a base. Don't just put it as people in New York City. Make it be like set in a high school. It can work. But then you have to get the pacing right, and you have to make your characters likable. And no, one, like outside of Christopher McDonald in this film, no one's really likable. They're just, they're just. It's not even that they're unlikable. They're except like Jordana Brewster's Delilah. She's a bitch, so you don't really like her. Well, other than that, no one's really likable. I mean, I think uh, Clay Duvall, Stokely, I, 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 she's probably like out of the main cast. She's my favorite. She, because she is relatable in yeah. the fact that if you ever gone through high school and have to deal dealt with people's bullshit, you cannot you know relate to her and like so she's relatable. But at the same time, she's not because it's a very much a stereotypical like again nineties bit like goth person who's at an outsider like with urban legend. And so no one in this film's like really likable. Even Elijah Woods is not really likable in this. He's just like, oh, I don't know what's going. Yeah, he's kind of a whiny person. He's a whi- he's a whiny little bitch. And then he's just as shallow too. Because at the end of the film, he ends up with Delilah, the you know the cheerleader, popular girl extraordinaire. Which the whole moral of like that whole <laughs> point kind of you know goes out the window. Well, maybe she learned her lesson. Don't be so terrible. <laughs> don't be a, a yeah. cunt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, like the lesson you don't even really get the lesson though, because yeah. she's gone for like the last yeah, third that's of the true. film. Yeah, she's not there for a lot of the film. Yeah, so I mean it, it like the whole Yeah. That whole relationship like the whole Stan and uh Yeah, Stan, Delilah that makes triangle sense. thing that's going on. That makes more sense. And Stan, we haven't really mentioned him, the football player who wants to, you know, Stop being the star quarterback because he doesn't want people kissing his ass. Is played by uh, Sean Hatosi. Sean Hatosi, who looks like fucking low rent Corey Matthews, aka Ben, you know Ben Savage. That's what he looks like. I thought when I saw him come on, I was expecting when this boy meets world. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, 
I mean, like, like at least the relationship he then develops with Stokely is more believable. It's totally along the lines of, as we said, like, the, uh, when we were watching it, like, The Breakfast Club. Of like, Yeah, I mean, he, it makes he's, sense. He's Emilio Estevez, she's Ali Sheedy, and, you know, like, she's the goofy outsider, and he's the jock, and then by just, you know, spending time, they get to know, like, hey, maybe we can have more in common. That, and it, that makes more sense. Because so that's I mean, what he wants to be. He wants to be a, he doesn't want to be so much of a jock anymore, or, yeah. like, a mean guy, or anything like that. He just wants to be And she doesn't want to be normal. an outsider. She wants, you know, yeah. she wants, you know. Yeah. With, like, Delilah and Casey, you don't really have that scenario, because all you really know is that Casey really likes Delilah, because of her looks. He's very attracted to her. He has pictures of her that had blown up on his wall. And so he's kind of almost stalking her in a way. And uh, he just thinks she's really hot. And that's, you know, that's the main crux of that. Is that because Casey saved everybody, now he's obviously awesome to Delilah. She's getting wet from that. Because <laughs> she, she's alive. And she's like, well, you... You didn't know, shoot me in the yeah, head. You didn't shoot so. me, so... And then he likes her because she's hot. So th- th- there's no, yeah, there's no real moral to that aspect of it. Yeah, unless you have to have a moral. And then I, probably I, but at that I, but point, I think it's, like, I think that's like just like. And then totally. at that point, like with Casey being the sort of final guy in this scenario, he should die at the end because he's breaking the rules of like what you would get from a normal slasher film, having a normal, s- a normal having sex and making out with the mean girl. Well, no, you know what. Killer's gonna come up and just stab you right in the neck, and that has, that's I know Clay Duvall should have been the yeah. hero if you think about it. Like, yeah, really, basically. Yeah, but no, that that whole part does like annoy me because it's just like that, that's fucking stupid. Yeah, a little bit. It's like yeah. a little bit. I don't really see that as like a ha- oh, what a happy ending. Because <laughs> like cause after like the whole thing happens like one month later, and then like you see everything's back to normal in school, you know? Yeah, except and for it, like a whole like a couple people died. The principal died. John Stewart's okay. He, John Stewart's he got, okay. He got stabbed in the eye and, like, you know, turned into, like, white shit. But, no, yeah, he's back. He's yeah. got a fucking eye patch now. And <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, like, the, the principal's dead. Well, uh, other teachers, yeah. Burke, Miss Burke, who's in the... She's dead. Yeah. And they found the shower. And yeah. Who it doesn't make any sense either. Like, it makes national news and they're like... The FBI investigating. No one's really sure what happened. Yeah, it's like, well, and on Time Magazine, they got Elijah Wood standing like he's on fucking Pawn Stars with his arms crossed. And they're like, you know, truth or myth, you know, the story and blah, blah, blah. Uh, Fucking, that's like, that annoys me. That's like. Yeah. What do you think about the whole, like, drug storyline? You know, that. Um, Pointless. Yeah, I mean, Zeke's manufacturing drugs, which they're not really drugs. It's fucking no-dose crushed up into... Uh, with some other stuff, yeah, he with, said. <laughs> with some other household totally. things. Like, what are we talking, though? Are we talking Comet? <laughs> like, because that seems pretty dangerous if he's... This smart scientist guy is combining no-dose and Comet or something like that. But it's some sort of white powder, so who knows? Maybe it's just sugar or something. But it's, whatever it is, it's basically just caffeine and crushed up into, like, a powdery form that people sniff in. So, yeah, they get, so like, get an initial high quicker, of caffeine. Yeah. But it doesn't make sense because everybody's acting like they're on some sort of, like, ecstasy or something. Well, you know, it's funny. is the way they're, like, as soon as, like, Elijah Wood takes it. 
and he's giggling and laughing. It's like, what's you like? Is this Joker gas? Yeah, I don't know like, what. Like, it is. Yeah, are you gonna are you gonna dying with like, a smile on you? Like, yeah, I hate you. I don't know why caffeine would make somebody do like all of a sudden. Like, if you drink a cup of coffee really fast, are you like coffee? <laughs> <laughs> Everything's so fucking funny to me right now. No, but if you drink no. Mountain Dew, that's what happens. Mm, I guess so. <laughs> no, it's supposed to chill you out while you're gaming. Have you tried the new USA? No, I have not. You should try it. I'll have to give it a shot. I, I bought some for our friend, uh, Matt, because I, I, I'm not drinking soda anymore, but I did try a sip of it. It tastes like a bomb pop. I bet. What an awful... They know their mark. They they yeah. know their demographic. Yes, they on, do. Yes, they do. Fucking USA, red, white, and blue Mountain Dudes. <laughs> um, uh, all right, so out of... Ten, uh, what do I want to do? Ten, uh, t- <laughs> I don't know what I want to do here. I gotta, I gotta think of a, think of a, a rating scale on this one. Um, ten, <laughs> I don't have anything. Out of ten Christopher McDonald oh, goatees. goatees. Ten, yeah, ten, ten goatees, what would you give the faculty? I'd give it a six. Yeah, it doesn't... I mean, it's not really one of those films that you... I mean, I I honestly... I think it's a little bit better than Urban Legend. No, I, 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 no I, I think this is better than Urban yeah, Legend. I mean, I, when you're coming back to it... Even it, even if I take the nostalgia away from this film, mm-hmm. or I said, like, with Urban Legend, I gave it a five and a half, and I said, even if, if I didn't count for nostalgia, I'd give it, like, a four or something, because it's a very boring film. Even if I didn't have, like, nostalgia for this film and just, like, the love of, like, the 90s goofiness, I would still say it's a six. Because though, though it is overly long and plotting and full of bullshit, I think there's enough interesting things in this film that make it a not miserable watch and you'll find, like, you're not going to yeah. love it, but there's going to be some enjoyable things. Yeah, yeah. So, I, the soundtrack being one, just the fact that, you know... You're going to hear Creed. You're going to hear The Offspring. You're going to hear all these... You're going to hear a bad rendition of Pink Floyd. Yeah, a miserable rendition. <laughs> but, like, you know, it, it's it's got enough that I think... I think the idea of taking the inv- Invasion of the Body Snatchers and the thing and kind of modernizing it, even though, God forbid, it's only been fucking 20 years, but, you know, modernize it already for every generation. Um... I think it's an interesting idea, but I think it's it's terribly executed on the idea. I think the whole mystique is kind of lost on the fact that they they give away the whole paranoia right at the beginning there. So there's no suspense to the film, so and the fact that half the film has good practical effects and the other half has by today's standards god awful CGI. The whole suspense is ruined. I think the fact, too, that the cast, though enjoyable for its camp, their campiness, um, is not noteworthy at all. Mm-hmm. I, like I said, I, besides Christopher McDonald's short cameo, John Stewart's little bit, which are, they're, yeah. they're, they are intentionally, go- I mean, I wouldn't say Christopher McDonald's intentionally goofy, I think that's just him being him, yeah. and it's great, but John Stewart's intentionally supposed to be kind of goofy, but I mean, I, Daniel I, Von Bargain's there too. Yeah, and playing Daniel Von Bargain. Basically, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but I mean, uh, 
outside of Clay Duvall, no one's really. No one's really good in this. No. Elijah Wood is not good in this. No, he's not, this, actually. This is no. not a showcase for Elijah Wood of the things that he would do later on. This is not a, th- a showcase of what Josh Harnett's capable of. Right. Selma Hayek's here because it's a Robert Rodriguez yeah, film. Yeah, she's very you know, underutilized. And it's not even like, hey, Selma Hayek and her tits are here. It's, <laughs> it's No, not really. It's just, hey, Selma, I got so, a yeah, movie Yeah, it's actually it. more like Selma Hayek is a frumpy nurse in here who's sick. Yeah. And, and, I, and, I, and, I, and like it has a pill. Yeah, I honestly think same that the, maybe she well, was same, same literally with, sick in this film. Well, same thing with uh, you know, Famic Jensen. She the whole like she, like up to this point like she's known for doing like seduct seducting roles right, right. and playing them very well. And but in here she she's not even really that. I mean, I she, mean a little bit, but just not. But not, it's but it's like she goes from frumpy teacher who can't you know. Doesn't have a backbone and is afraid of her students and has a crush on one of her students. Yeah. So when the aliens take over, now she's a bitch, which makes no sense. Why would the alien taking her over all of a sudden making her, you know, while they neuter everyone else to try to kind of blend in, all of a sudden she, you know, she's coming up, I'm the cunt that's going <laughs> to, you know, tell you what's what. Right. So, like, even that's, like, and I'm not blaming, I'm not blaming her for it because I think that's it, more of a directorial thing. Mm-hmm. And a screen, you know, screenplay thing. But I mean, like I said, I mean, it's just no, no one outside of uh, Clay Duvall it really sticks out in this. Interesting tie-in. Phoebe Jansen was in Lord of Illusions with Daniel Von Bargen, so they probably came as a package or something. I don't know. Just a just a little fun fact there. Um, I gotta I. Gotta agree with you. I can't remember what I gave Urban Legends. I think I gave it a six and a half. You and gave I, it, I think, a six. I, yeah, and I would give the faculty like a six and a half. I think that it is it is overly long, hour and forty. I I hate I kind of hate saying that because I feel like we say that a lot on this on the podcast. But well, maybe. <laughs> but I mean, I do really do. I think it's it's overly long. The, the hour and forty five minutes, like that final conclusion, it takes a long time to get through it. Um, doesn't, it's not necessary to have it that long. I don't think that they needed a lot of the introduction to the teachers. We don't really get to see them that much anyway. So there's not really anything here that makes a difference besides basically maybe Robert Patrick. We do need some of, and in a couple scenes of the other, of the other teachers before they turn, but not anything as well. And babe knew and babe newer as the principal. But Mm -hmm. I mean, at the same time, like I said, Piper Laurie is the drama teacher, Karen Olson. Yeah. She's. They spend like the first twenty minutes with like her, like are you, you know, like with her being like with like Robert Patrick, like right. oh, you know, we're yeah, we're part of the aliens. But then like just like that, she's gone. Right, and we so, didn't, like what was the point? There yeah, was, I mean, and we. I think if they did spend a lot less time on giving us that, you know, depiction of all of these teachers as aliens. It would be a little bit more suspenseful because you would just not know who you could trust. And you'd be right there with the characters because they don't know anybody who they can trust. They don't know anything. Um, so I think that that probably is a is it a point in the faculty that doesn't work very well for it. And, and they, that was where they really needed to take cues from Invasion of the Body Snatchers and the thing. Because in that case, there is a lot of paranoia. And then the faculty, there's not that much paranoia, really. It's 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 almost uh, undercut by the fact that, like, at every turn, we find out really fast that people turn into the alien, and and that's it. 
So six and a half for me. Um, anything else you got about the faculty before we close this episode out? No, that's about it. Yeah. So next week we're doing, I know what you did last summer. Can't wait. That'll be a fun one. I have not seen that one in years. Um, and I'm very excited to, to revisit that. It's another Kevin Williamson film. It's a Freddie Prince Jr. film. <laughs> that's, that's all that needs to be said really is Freddie Prince Jr. And, uh, well, Sarah Michelle Geller. Freddie Prince Jr. Well, that's a, that was an indication of things to come. Freddie Prince Jr. and Sarah, 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 Michelle, Sarah Michelle Geller together. The Scooby-Doo movies, yeah. No, not, not the Scooby-Doo. <laughs> I mean, they literally are together. They literally are married. And the Scooby-Doo movies. And, well, yes. <laughs> apparently, you, can't just, you just can't get over that. This is Scooby-Doo movies. Have you not seen the Scooby-Doo movies? I, I don't know. I guess not. Well, you should, well, you, maybe, maybe it's time we do the Scooby-Doo movies. <laughs> um, we're going we're gonna to drop the 90 slasher month to do the Scooby-Doo. Just do Scooby-Doo movies. But yeah, next week we're doing I Know What You Did Last Summer. We're going to try to fit a bonus episode of Alien Covenant in here at some point as well. Because it's going to be releasing very soon. And... We do want to try to put that in here. After seeing the, like a new IGN video about like the aliens timeline, mm-hmm. I almost feel like the app for Covenant. I'm gonna have to see Prometheus now. I think we're gonna have to see. I think we're I'm we're gonna have to try to watch Prometheus before Alien Covenant, definitely, because that's that is the timeline. It's Prometheus, Alien Covenant into as far as I know from Alien Covenant into Alien, but, and then Aliens and Alien right, exactly. And so, yeah, I know because I, I watched a video today about like the timeline. And from like what they were showing from Covenant, it's like they were talking quite a bit about Prometheus. And I was like, yeah. mm. I think we're gonna have to watch it before, which shouldn't be a problem, but at some point we'll fit it in. Um, but yeah, we want to do a bonus episode about that, so keep that in mind. That that may be coming out soon. Other than that, we're gonna continue our '90s slasher month. Um, the last one after I know what you did last summer is um, Halloween H two O. Can't wait for that one either. And then there's perhaps a secret one that we haven't announced yet. It is a secret. And we're not we're not telling, right? No, it's gonna be a post you know what? Post things on Facebook to tease when it comes up to it. Like what to see if anyone can uh anyone can guess what it is. Yeah. It'd be fun. They're gonna enjoy it. It's going to be a blast. Oh, I'm going to enjoy You're it. You're going to enjoy that it. That might be my favorite one to do. <laughs> I get... Actually, no, I lied. It's going to be my favorite one to do. Because it's got some of the best things in the world. In it. <laughs> All right. So we will see you next week for I Know What You Did Last Summer. Thank you for listening. A little bit of administrative duties. You can check us out on uh, iTunes and, and pretty much every other podcasting app that you use because we're on all of them Uh, we're on soundcloud on stitcher everything uh we have a a website it's blood and black rum podcast.wordpress.com check us out uh click on some of our sponsors perhaps you would like a craft beer of the month and if you do please order from us (laughs) um check out our our t-shirt as well you can wear it and Give us some advertising. 
that would, we would really appreciate that. Um, also, we have a Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash Blood and Black Rum Podcast. Uh, like us on there. We have a Twitter, Blood and Black Rum. Give us a follow. And obviously, we also have an email address. It's Blood and Black Rum Podcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you like about the podcast, what you want to see covered on it. Also, tell us what your favorite Mexican beer is because we're very curious to know. I don't want shrimp tacos. <laughs> and as always, uh, just keep listening, and we really appreciate you listening to us. Give us a, a nice review on any podcasting app that you use. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with the continuation of our 90s Slasher Month. Have a good one. Take care.